Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Uh, they've had productive negotiations, according to a source. New entrants have come in. They're feeling good, and their schools will be rewarded for the patients. End quote. Media deal expected to include a linear component and a streaming element. Up in the air, of course, uh, the idea of the conference expanding. If the conference stays at 10 teams, it's a little less money in the media deal. But keep in mind, college football playoff expansion brings larger revenue, huge payout, huge windfall in the new TV deal when the conference, uh, uh, the college CFP championship uh, event turns into a 12-team bonanza. That means if you stay at 10 teams, you're only splitting it 10 ways instead of 12 ways. So there is uh, sort of a yin and yang going on right now as it comes to expansion. Keep an eye on that. Nick Daschle of the Oregonian covers Oregon State. There is nobody better on the Oregon State beat. You better be reading him. He joins us now. Let me ask you this, Daschle. If if Oregon State had to vote expand or not expand, would they want a little more money in the media rights deal, or would they want to stay at 10 and say, hey, there's less competition to get to the playoff? What do you think Jonathan Smith would say? Boy, that's a tough one. I, I... I think in Oregon State's case, they got to opt for the more money, but I could, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be left up to Jonathan, obviously. But you know, if it was up to Jonathan, I think he'd, he, yeah, he'd, he'd vote for ten. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think Oregon State's always got to be in the in a position where, unless it's, you know, they're just selling out, they're they're selling their soul for money. I, I think they got to go for the for the bigger check. I mean, obviously, neither one of us is convinced that that's going to happen necessarily. But um, so, yeah, that's what I would say from Oregon State's perspective. I I am interested to know who's going to start at quarterback for Oregon State. Jonathan Smith continues a tradition of not bringing his quarterback to media day. Whole bunch of QBs there, none of them in an Oregon State jersey. Who do you think is the starter if the season started today like who would you lean towards well i i say this not having seen them do anything you know since since april because you know they're they're practicing it you know i'm not down there watching them work out on their own but if dj has come along enough from spring, like you like you would think, you know, more comfortable with the playbook, more comfortable with the receivers, the offense, everything. I mean, you you, you would think that's probably where they're they're leaning, but but it's a close call right now. I, I I'm still not writing off Ben Gulbertson because, like I said, he, like I've said before, he, last year was his first year as a starter. You you, you got to expect some growth there and. I think there's a possibility he he might be a lot better than than people want to give him credit for. I don't yeah, think cool. it's going to be Aiden Child. I don't think it's going to be Aiden Child. Do you think Aiden Child's red shirts? Do you think he's out of the conversation? I mean, I got to give him like a five percent chance in case he you know just lights camp on fire. But I, I think they're going to give him a couple. I mean, he's got four games he can play, 
So, you know, and still keep his red shirt. So I think they're going to give him a couple of cracks, you know, if he shows he can handle the, you know, the, the position. But I, I mean, I'd be pretty surprised if he beats out two veterans. DJ Uyengalele, what do they need out of him? Is it leadership? Is it just competency? And is it possible that Jonathan Smith uses two QBs? Could he use DJ situationally and Goldbrinson in other situations? What's on the table and what's not? You know, I asked that a lot during the spring, and I think they were more just appeasing my question than anything else as far as the two quarterbacks go. I don't honestly think they're going to do that. Um, I, I think with DJ, you know, they, they know what they got with Ben. They know they can run, they can run the offense confidently with, with him. I think they're looking for a little bit more sizzle and that's what they might be able to get with DJ. They'll run a little bit more from the quarterback position, be able to get the ball downfield to a receiver, you know, a little bit more, just get a little bit more out of the offense. And I think they're, you know, intrigued by that possibility, but, they, they they know what they can get from from Ben in terms of of running an offense. They just want they, it needs to be better this year because I, if it had been a little bit better last year, you you know where this team would have went last year. They would have been um, to Vegas. And, they were, they they beat USC sure. and they're they're in Vegas. Sure, and and, and I mean that that game I you've mentioned this before too. It's going to haunt them for for a long time because they they were at a minimum even with USC and probably the better team that night. They just gave up the one or two plays that you just can't give up. But, right, that, that game's going to haunt them. So, yeah, if the offense just been a little bit better last year, they would have been in Vegas. Nick Daschle with us, Oregon State beat reporter. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, among other places. Daschle, um, you know, let's play a game here. The Oregon State defense from a year ago, which player who's not back this year, in your mind, is the biggest loss for the Oregon State defense? And I'll include guys like Alex Austin and Jaden Grant and Jack Coletto, but Omar Spates landing at LSU, that one hurt too. Where's the biggest loss? You know, I think it might – I don't want to say – I'm going to say a position more than a player because I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one is better between Rajon Wright and Alex Austin, but losing those two guys is is a big loss. And I they've got some guys they're looking at, but it's hard for me to believe that they'll be able to replace two guys that are in, in an NFL camp. You know, this this summer they'll be able to replace those guys at a, at a at a at an equal level or better. So I, I would say one of those two guys would, would probably be the hardest, the hardest two to, to replace. The the defense can they do they have young guys that you think can step in and pick up, or is it just an overall leadership loss that just you know you're you're not going to overcome, and you just hope to be good enough on the defensive side of the ball and better on offense to make it not matter. Well, they got five. They got five cornerbacks at least that they're looking at that they that they believe are pretty competent and and all of them have shown some ability but none of them have there's between the five of them there's one start so we don't know you know how how what they can do if they're starting game in and game out i 
in the other position, obviously, they got to replace a lot of guys as inside linebacker. But Trent Bray's been around the block a number of times. They've been recruiting better at that position every year. I, I don't have any doubt that they'll be able to find, you know, four guys they'll be able to fill in at that position and make plays just like they've been making in the past. Um, so, but yeah, the cornerback position is is the one where. They got to find. They got to find probably three guys that that can make, yeah, you know, that can make that position viable this next season. Nick Daschle is with us. Let's talk about the season. Uh, Vegas says eight and a half wins is the over under. Um, Jonathan Smith not going to be happy with eight wins. He's going to want more than that. He wants to. He wants to go to Vegas. How do you see the schedule lining up? Uh, and as you look at it, do you see nine? 10, 11 wins, where do you see them? Well, I must see at least nine wins because I, I picked them second in the, in the, in the media poll. Um, and it's not because they, you know, necessarily have the second best roster on the team. It's the schedule. That schedule is, is, it's awesome. I mean, it's everything last year's schedule wasn't. I mean, the, the non-conference schedule is so doable and the, and the, and the conference schedule is, you know, it's they don't play USC. They got they got the, the you know the tougher games at home. I mean, there's no way Jonathan's going to say, "Oh yeah, the schedule's a lot easier than last year." But <laughs> but I think deep I think deep down he would admit that the schedule is is <laughs> is a little bit easier to navigate than last year. And I mean, other than the Oregon game at the end of the season, but that game's the last game of the season. At that point, I mean, if you could get to that point with you know. With with ten or eleven wins, shoot! I mean, your two toughest games are the last two games of the season. I mean, there's there's a path to ten and zero. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's a path to it which you couldn't have drawn up last year, or you know, probably any other year in Oregon State history. Maybe not even in 2000, you could have you could have said that. This this schedule, I, I was looking at, and I was thinking, what game will they not be favored in? The Oregon game for sure. But other than that, what game are they not going to be favored in? I mean, Utah, they're playing them at home on a Friday night. What if they're 4-0? There's no way that Utah will be favored in that game. So, I mean, the schedule is what, what makes what makes this season as promising as anything. Well, you got the stadium opening, and I think that's going to capture kind of, you know, the week two vibe as they come home, open the stadium. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the atmosphere is like inside uh, Reeser Stadium because they've been so good there. But then the schedule in the back half of the season, you're right. And in particular, it's not just even looking at Oregon State. I'm looking at Washington's schedule. Washington goes to USC, plays Utah at home, and then has to go to Oregon State in successive weeks, in weeks 9, 10, and 11. And if you're Oregon State, you're sitting there going – Go play USC in Utah, then come play us at our place. That is a tough task to ask of Washington. Yeah, no, that's that, that's what I mean about the schedule. I mean, and, and before Washington, you know, Oregon State's got Stanford so, at home. So so it's like, you know, that, that, that's a game that sets up too. I'm not, not saying, you know, that Stanford won't be able to give them a challenge. I mean, if you're going to pick teams to play – that's probably about as easy a conference game as you can have going into to a game like Washington. 
I mean, other they have one, they have one back-to-back, you know, road series, Arizona and Colorado. I mean, the, the bye is right in the middle of the schedule. It's it just, like I said, it just sets up. And, you know, like you were saying about Washington, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's tough. I mean, to go three and over that stretch, if you, if you're picking Washington, you, 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 you must know something about this team that, you know, we know they're good, but they got to be really good to, to navigate that schedule. Smith as a coach, he kept his, his, uh, his uh, Jim Mahalchek, the run game coordinator, highly underrated, I think, in the conference as assistants go, but I think word's out that he's hell of a coach. Um, this staff and the continuity, how does that help Oregon State on the field? More than just, oh, I don't have to spend my time going out and hiring new coordinators every year like some other programs had this season, but how does it sort of manifest itself in better play? Well, it's, a, it's you know it's a consistent consistent message. I mean, the, the the terminology is the same year in and year out. It's they're not bringing in a you know a new offensive line coach that wants wants them to do something different. They're not bringing in a new coordinator that you know is trying to reinvent the offense every third year. You know, the the, the, the only position that's really had to deal with you know a different coach several times has been running back. They're on their Johnson's on his third running back coach. But other than that, they've pretty much every other position, they've been delivering the same message over the course of Jonathan's tenure. So I mean that that alone I think is is, is helpful if as long as you got the players that you know, that can fulfill those the coach's wishes. So I, I mean I just think it's that. The the, the messaging. The first and second teams on offense and defense, all conference teams came out today as voted by media, proving the media doesn't know what they're talking about. Everybody's unhappy right now. You hear a lot of belly aching about it. But uh, Anthony Gold, uh, as a return specialist, is a first-team specialist. Uh, but, it, you know, he doesn't show up as a wide receiver uh, on first or second team. Do they have a receiver that they just love, or will it again be kind of Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren in the scheme, finding ways to spread the ball around and and exploit the defense? No, that's the big question mark on offense is, is receiver. I mean, the, the, I mean, Gould was was never going to be you know one of the top receivers going into the season because he just doesn't have the resume. Um, but but right now it's it's Gould, it's Silas Bolden, it's Josiah Irish, and then it's you know, seven or eight other guys competing for, for time. And they're going to play six guys. They they love these freshman receivers, but they're freshmen. So, you know, we're going to have to see how they, they, you know, take part in camp and, and whatnot. I mean, that there's a reason why, you know, Jonathan went out and tried to pick up a couple of JC receivers during the, you know, in April and May and June. Um, you know, they, they need, they need some, they need some guys that can make plays, and, and Gould and Bolden won't be enough. Now, what what offsets all that is they do have some ability at tight end to catch the ball and get downfield. They they like what Jack Velling can do. You know, they they've got other guys that can can make some plays in the passing game. So, the combination of the size they have at tight end and and the quickness and you know the quickness of a Gould and Bolden or will will make will make their receiving game I think formidable enough. It, it maybe it's better. I don't know. I mean, well, that's something we have to see. But I know that's 
that's probably the, the biggest question mark on offense going into the going into camp, other than you know who's going to play quarterback. The uh, media day on Friday it looks like the Pac-12 will not have a deal to talk about. They are now though framing expectations, saying that they're near a deal. Yada yada yada. It now means maybe there'll be some football to talk about on Friday. Who do you think? the star of the show will be. Is it going to be Coach Prime in Colorado who sort of everybody walks away? Or, you know, there's no Mike Leach, rest in peace. Chip Kelly's kind of, his son has set. Is it Dion or Bust or what? what's what's the uh, attraction nationally? Well, I suppose if you had to rank the, you know, who's going to be, a, you know, Dion will be number one by, by a sizable amount, but, I would think there's going to be a fair amount of, you know, buzz around USC just because of their last year and Caleb Williams being back as the reigning Heisman Trophy candidate and their FCS, I mean, CFP chances. And um, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see how much much interest Oregon State's got. I mean, they've gone down, this will be Jonathan's sixth sixth shot at at Pac-12 Media Day and, um, you know, I'm not saying, you know, he's been busy throughout, through each one because they make them all busy, but I'm just curious what, how, how many people are going to hang around right before lunch to, you know, hear Jonathan talk because he, he's the last one before the, the break. And uh, I'm curious to see how many, how many, how many reporters are going to want to hear what Jonathan has to say. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think, I think he'll draw a little bit. But you're right, it tends to thin out. The worst is at the end of the day up on Radio Row because you normally get, like, I can remember a couple years ago, Dashiell, Jed Fish from Arizona was in his first year, and he was the last coach, and I was debating, do I really need to stick around and talk with Jed, or should I just pack up? And the Pac-12 media person came by and said, hey, man, could you could you please interview him? Because everybody else is packing up, and I'm afraid he's going to be walking around, and it's kind of like you know everybody's putting their stools on the table as he's trying to make rounds. This year, though, it's Prime, Coach Prime, and Dan Lanning who are going at the end of the day on Radio Row. So I think uh, they're going to hold. They're trying to hold everybody there, and uh, scheduling a little differently. So we'll see. I will. I will catch you in Vegas, Dashiell. I appreciate you coming on, man. All right, we'll see you. All right, there's Nick Dashiell. Good stuff on Oregon State. We'll unpack that and more coming up. Plus, we'll take a look at the rest of the world of sports. What's going on in the NFL, in the NBA? Anything new with Damian Lillard? We'll have it next. I'm still thinking about Russell Okun and his 40-day fast that we talked about yesterday on the show. I thought about it. Uh, I lasted, uh, you know, part of why I couldn't fast for 40 days is because thinking about fasting for 40 days makes me want to snack. I don't know. The more I talk about not having any food, just drinking water for 40 days, I could probably do 40 hours. I know I can do 40 minutes. I do it during the show. 40 days? No. And uh, by the way, he lost 100 pounds in his 40-day water-only fast. Nothing but water. That could be really dangerous. You don't want to do that. And and I don't want to sound like I'm all about uh, not doing things that are dangerous. But not doing things that are dangerous that also involve me being able to eat, I'm all on board for that. Uh, another uh, tidbit, I started watching uh, the quarterback series on Netflix. You seen any of that yet, Stephen? 
Uh, no, I told my wife, I asked her, I said, do you want to watch this with me? And she said, yes. And I said, well, yes. I, need to, I need to know because if you don't want to, I'm going to start watching it. So no, she's going to want it. Yeah, so I had to save it for her. But yes, it is on the list of uh, very soon to watch. Anna was pretty tired when I started it last night on Netflix. And I would have kept watching it. But she was like fighting to keep her eyes open. And she said, after about the first five minutes, she said, this is really good. Like, this is well done. And I was like, yeah. And I had that moment, and you know it, where it's like, if you're not invested, I'm just going to keep watching, and you can fall asleep, and that's okay. I don't need you to stay awake. I don't need you to, you know, to fight your eyes closing if that's what, you know. We're not in a position where we mutually need to watch it. But I know that she's going to want to rewatch it afterwards and i don't want to watch it a second time so i just stopped it marcus mariota's got uh, obviously a heavy presence the series on netflix is based on uh kirk cousins marcus mariota and patrick mahomes certainly mahomes is sort of held up as the as the centerpiece of it because he was coming off of a super bowl win at the time and an mvp season and baby on the way and you got to admit that patrick mahomes wife with all due respect, she's kind of a nightmare, you know? Like, I don't mean that in, the, like, necessarily a bad way, but she's good for reality television is what I'm saying because you just don't know what she's going to say or what she's going to do. And she has a couple of moments. And you realize, too, like, how damn young he is. He's 24 years old doing this documentary, you know? He's 24 years old, and you still go, you still have to go, like, hey, look, quarterback, tough position, really difficult but at 24 years old, Stephen, I was still kind of hanging out, wearing my b backwards baseball cap, not really knowing what I was about. And here he is. He's on camera 24-7 for this documentary. Yeah, winning Super Bowls, making hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I was I was with you. You know, I was out, you know, eating that, uh, you know, getting some buffalo wings or something and eating with my friends, not worrying about a camera. So, yeah, I'm excited to watch. But, yeah, she is uh, she is kind of a nightmare, and she is wild and crazy. So I, I'm excited to see the stuff that she says, because she is fascinating with uh, the fact that Patrick Mahomes has decided to stay with her. I, I still can't believe that. <laughs> She's a nightmare. That There's some, uh, there's a little, obviously there's some dysfunction with his brother and, you know, uh, he's facing uh, criminal charges and, and all of that. But, um, you know, she's just a, They've been together since they were like in seventh grade. He can trust her. That's the thing. He can he can fully he you know she knew him before the money, so yeah. he can he can trust her. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this unfolds for Patrick Mahomes and uh, and his family. But I'm 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 only like ten minutes into the series, and I unfortunately had to stop it because Anna was falling asleep, and I cannot wait to watch the rest of episode one. But it's really really good. Brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. But the... The Big Splash! Well, eight NFL franchises have won back-to-back -back Super Bowls, but none since the New England Patriots did it in 2003 and 2004. Patrick Mahomes, who we were just talking about, said that the Kansas City Chiefs are focused on ending that streak. They want to win a second title. He said, quote, everybody's motivated by that. And uh, the Chiefs today reported for training camp. They're training at Missouri Western State University. Three-day camp for quarterbacks and rookies tomorrow, 
full squad practice on Sunday. Patrick Mahomes says, quote, when you have that parade, when you go through the offseason that I've been through, you want to do it again. You only get these opportunities by winning the Super Bowl. And so for us, we want to make sure that we build up and try to win the Super Bowl again because that moment, that feeling is something you just want to grab every single time you get the opportunity to do it, end quote. Chiefs beat the Eagles in February in the Super Bowl. They also beat the 49ers two years earlier, but they failed to repeat because Tampa Bay and Tom Brady spoiled the uh, the uh, game that was in the middle there. Uh, Mahomes said that the Chiefs coasted into the playoffs, and you know they had won 14 of 15 games going into that playoff series where they lost to the uh, Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, and uh, Mahomes said that they coasted there. I think you do have to have a little edge, and I think it did help the Chiefs that a lot of people were talking about Josh Allen and the Bills last year. A lot of people were talking about uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And, uh, of course, by the time they got to the Super Bowl, it was a lot of Eagles talk. And, you know, in a weird year where the Chiefs were one of the favorites all along, they didn't feel like the favorite at at all points of the season. Look like the Eagles or the Bills or even the Bengals were playing better football. So peaked at the right time, looked great in the Super Bowl. Ankle looked good, said it bothered him in the Super Bowl, but, uh, you know, really uh, really good season, obviously, for the Chiefs as they won it all. Who do you like this year? Who do you like Who do you like to be in the Super Bowl this year? I mean, how can you go against the Chiefs? I went against them last season. They proved me wrong. Patrick Mahomes may be the best leader in all of sports right now, like to lead a franchise, whatever sport it is. Like, he's not going to get in trouble. He, you know, he's great around the microphone, great leader. You know, I think the Bengals, the Bengals probably, Joe Burrow, you got to yeah. look at him as well. Um, They're 10-1. to 1. Yeah, I, 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 I love them. I love the Bengals. I love the Chiefs and the AFC. And then the NFC, it's kind of a crapshoot right now. I mean, I'd have to put the Eagles at first, but I don't feel good about that. Eagles are 7-1. to 1, Niners are 10-1. to 1. Um, I like the uh, – I, I think the Niners have a puncher's chance to get there. They, they need to figure out their quarterback position, though, and need to know that they're healthy. But I do think the Niners – are playing like a franchise right now entering this season that knows that they have a narrow window. Like, they've got a bunch of guys who are lined up, sniffed, sniffed around it. Can they break through? We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.